Hi guys! Welcome to Semi Successful. Let's do it. I'm Natalie. And this is Brad. They know. <laughs> they know who we are by now. And you probably know who we are because we only have five people that watch us. Yes. Well, I was gonna say five episodes, but both can be true and are true. <laughs> hey, we got like nine subscribers. Yeah, we're getting there. They're Please getting actually somewhere. subscribe. subscribe. If you haven't, please. Comment. Like. Like. Oh, my God. If you guys like, smash Give that like up. button. And I'm talking to my friends that are watching. It's easy to thumbs up. It is really easy. It's too easy. All right. I think from now on, if a YouTuber asks me a thumbs up, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I know how hard it is. Dedication. But we have to give them a reason to hit the thumbs up. And I think uh, today we will. Yeah. This is a good episode. Very good. It's very informative. Yeah, so when I first met Brad, he, uh, I think one thing that I liked about him was he, he was financially savvy. I have a good way of pretending. Yeah, and I uh, am not. No, she didn't know what a savings account was. I knew what one was. But you've never implemented Maybe one. I didn't. Yeah, because I, I'm kind of like, I have money, I go spend it. Yeah, and that is actually a pretty common thing, I think, is people, they get money. They're like, well, why would I get this and not use it? I'm going right. to buy something I want. Mm -hmm. And I think it just has to have, or has to do with being a at a young age and being taught, like, hey, just because you have money does not, it means it, actually you shouldn't spend it. You should save it. That was like the first thing you learn is say or first save thing I money. learned is don't spend that money. Save it. Like when I got birthday money, my dad would not let me spend that money. Oh, he actually took it from me. It was like, I'm putting it in a savings account for you. Yeah, I didn't get a chance. Cool. To, I was like, dad, that's my money. What are you doing? He would just steal from me. I mean, I, he, I think he put it in a savings account. I'm pretty sure he did, but he would take the money. I didn't even get it. Yeah. The money I got, we would immediately go to the mall and spend it on clothes. Yeah. So I think we just had two different upbringings yeah. in that regard. And I don't think either one is, I mean, like, I kind of would like to instill the value of, like, yeah, like, okay, you got $200 from grandma, let's put $150 out of the way, savings, and then you can take 50 of that and spend it, whatever you want to do with it. Yeah, and I think savings is actually just one aspect. That's the first thing you learn is save. Yes. The second thing you learn is invest, because especially at our age, and that's like one thing that we really talk about today is um, the investment side. Because if you're just saving money, you should be saving for a purpose to then make that or use that money to make it work for you. Yeah. That's the whole point of investing. And I think too, like investing sounds like a foreign language to me because it sounds kind of silly to do. Because well, Why does it sound silly to do? Because what I'm... It it goes down, it goes up, It's it feels very imaginary. Well, investing, you're thinking of the stock market, I imagine, right now. Investing is... More it, than the stock it's market. It's more than the stock market. Stock you can invest markets. in real estate, you can invest in other markets. A market is just... Uh, an entity of whatever... It's an instrument used to pretty much dictate value or cost or price for things. F for things, yeah. That's a, probably a horrible definition for a market, but it's it, there's the, there are markets for everything. There's the stock market. There's the uh, real estate market, mm -hmm. the commodities market. There's the makeup market, crypto market. So the you know market. I mean, so you shouldn't be turned off or scared of 
of investing. The market market? No. And uh, <laughs> the market market. What's that? Like the grocery store. Oh, yeah. The grocery market. The grocery market. Uh, is the cost. I mean, it's a market for market. produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so today we do have a guest. Um, his name is Matt Aarons. Mm-hmm. And he is a financial advisor. And we uh, had a great chat with him. Yeah. So um, that will be a part of this video is our, our conversation with him. And it was really cool because, like Natalie said, I've always been kind of more geared towards finance and economics and investing. And Natalie has not. No. And I do think that that's something a lot of like millennials. I think it's the tide is changing. I think the tide is changing a little bit. I will say, like, I have. We're getting met, to the age now. Well, not just that. I th- I find younger people. I think actually crypto has helped a lot of younger people understand markets and investing a little bit faster. They usually get burned, but sometimes losing money in a market or losing money in an investment kind of teaches you a lot. Like it either scares you, and we actually talked about this with Matt, or it kind of like hardens you and like is like, okay, now I get it. Now yeah. now I'm gonna try again and this time with more knowledge than i had before i also just realized because like the stock market like went down 20 percent or whatever mm-hmm. what if you're like 75 yeah that's that's in 2008 that was like the big deal like a lot of people who were trying to retire or about to retire it, had a lot of their money and their pensions tied up in the stock market so those people got obliterated and that was like 50 percent. so they either have to keep working to make up for it I mean, you have to because you can't retire because what you okay, have also like so a 401k is based off of your like an IRA 401k Roth, all of that Roth, yeah. is based off the stock market. That sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Why does that sound dumb? And first off, it's it's based off of so those are like investment vehicles. So like you can they're like tax um man, I don't really know like the definition, but they're like tax based like investment vehicles. So like they're um they help you on your taxes. Or like so like a Roth IRA, I don't know the specific specifics of each one, but the Roth IRA pretty much allows you to withdraw at a retirement age, like 58 and a half or 59 and a half and uh, not be taxed on the back end. You pay all your taxes up front on the stocks you buy. So you're not paying taxes on the gains that you're going to have when you retire. But so, but in order to make that money grow, you have to put it in stocks. stocks. So it's just like the portfolio style. And then you pick the stocks in there. Put, $5,000, because that's like how much you can put in a Roth. You put $5,000 a year. It's $6,000 a year. Okay, $6,000 a year. What's six times 40 is... So I would have $24,000 technically, plus all the money I've gained. What math are you doing? I'd have $240,000. Yes. No. Yes. Six times four. Yes, yes. You have $240,000. Plus, technically, the money that I... You have 240 base. So if you just left that money in there and didn't invest it, you have 240 base. But if I invest 200... Okay, so there's $240,000 in there. Over 40 years. Plus my stock market stuff. But if the stock market crashes... No, no, that is the stock market stuff. The 240, you put that money in and then you buy stocks with it. Individual stocks with it. But then if the stock market crashes, all that money goes away. 
Yes. It doesn't go away. It goes to the value that the, that the stocks you picked are now valued at. Which could be less than $240,000. Yes, but the chances of that happening over 40 years is like, it's never happened before, technically. Okay. It, but like the stock might not I think be that there. They just sound, it just seems sketch. Really? Even after talking with Matt, it still seems sketch? Well, I feel like uh, it'd be fun to have a more of a Natalie conversation with him. Yeah, the next one we do with him, we'll, well, you should have more questions yeah. for him. But it does seem a little sketch, sketch. Why? You don't know why it seems sketch? It just just because, like, put, it just seems so imaginary. Like, also, well, like, everyone, everyone just pulls all their money out one day. Like, if, why yeah, doesn't... You're not understanding it. You're yeah. Not, I, you I you literally are not understanding it. I don't get it. I mean, it is all kind of fugazi. Mm -hmm. The Samari is a fugazi. A little bit. Mm -hmm. But that's just life, baby. That's just life. Life's <laughs> fugazi. Okay, well, on that note... We should get into the interview. Yeah. You guys are going to love it. It's very uh, it's very educational. So, yeah, without further ado, here is the interview. We hope you guys enjoy it. And just a quick reminder, uh, this is not financial advice. This is purely for entertainment value. Um, just a disclaimer. So, enjoy. Um, yes. Dude, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. We greatly uh, appreciate it. Um, also, I have never met you before, but I've heard your name. I've heard your voice. I've heard Brad's grandpa talk about you. So I'm kind of excited to like put a name. I've heard a lot about you. All of the stuff I've heard is good, good. things, which I'm sure is not good. necessarily the way it, it always comes with, with my name, especially yeah. with Papa well, it's Joe, all, so. Yeah, it's all good things with her as a person, but she's not the most financial savvy person I've ever met in my life. No. Uh, that's actually why we wanted to talk to you today. Um, first off, do you mind just giving us a little bit of uh, background information on yourself? Yep. Quick overview. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I'm Chief Investment Officer for Integrity Advisory, which is an RA firm in Orland Park, Kansas. Uh, I've been with the firm, I'm a partner with Tony, and I've been with the firm for, uh, gosh, seven, seven years now. And, uh, but I've been in the industry since 2007. So I started right before the, financial crisis uh, what a time to start yeah oh my so you've God. like been through it all i did not know that yeah yeah that was my that was my uh that was my very first uh kind of entree into this uh, this world and so it was it was challenging for sure but um yeah and even then you like that right out of the shoot the company that i went to go work for uh we, we almost went bankrupt <laughs> uh so it was an insurance company out of Topeka, kansas and it was a challenging time got bought by uh, Guggenheim, people might be uh -huh. familiar with Scott Minard and, uh -huh. uh, and the Guggenheim name. Also, like they invest in the Dodgers, that kind of stuff. Maybe they're more famous for that. But um, a lot, a lot of changes uh, since 2007, and just. But also, it's kind of nice, you know, to be able to to see multiple sides of the coin. The market doesn't always go up. There's challenges, and so I just happened to enter the industry. And at that a time is that actually uh, like and, one of my first questions I wanted to ask you is like, how are you feeling right now? Like. I have been an investor. I don't know if people know this about me personally since I was like 12 or 13. Like I started pretty young. I've always had a uh, like a, a an aspect or my mind has always been like investment focused and I always loved economics and the markets. But even right now, I think it's a very uh, weird time. So like, how are you feeling overall right now? Like I guess compared to like 2007 when you started, you used to seeing blood in the water 
a little bit. And I guess now it kind of feels, at least to me, feels a little bit similar. Yeah, I would say it's, I would say it's similar. I feel like in 2007, 2008, those things were, uh, uh, I want to say that it caught us off guard, but I think that it was maybe a little bit more off guard. You know, obviously you got the, uh, the big short, the movie, which made a lot of that very famous. One of my favorite movies. uh, And, but it's, but it's also one of those things where I feel like uh, he was very much going against the grain uh, as far as thinking about what's going on in the market. This has been, you know, for the last couple of years, this has been a very hated bull market uh, before we started to have this uh, this downturn. I think that people were sort of just waiting for that next shoe to drop and uh, and see, you know, when are things going to turn south? Um, it's been challenging. We had eight straight weeks of the S&P 500 being down, being red, uh, which we actually didn't even see back in uh, 08, 09. I was going to say, that's a, that's a first time okay, anomaly, so right? So what's an SP 500? I love this. This, inter- this convo is going to be a lot of, <laughs> High level talk or medium level talk mixed in with what's a market? <laughs> what's the stock market? So <laughs> we have we have both sides of the coin. So what was your question, Natalie? SP S and P five hundred. So the S and P five hundred is the Standard and Poor's uh, top five hundred largest companies in the U.S. So like the Dow. Uh, 40, okay. but uh, so sometimes people think about the market. Oftentimes, the S and P five hundred is what they're referencing. Just because you know the Dow is blue chip names, uh, and you think about uh, just the top forty companies, that's not really indicative of the rest of the market or the economy. Whereas the S and P five hundred is five hundred names, you know the Russell two thousand is two thousand names. <clears throat> so it just kind of gives you a little bit of a broader uh, look. It's still a large company, it's been a little broader look at the at the stock market. At like a company that's not just Apple, like. It's a, it looks at, at a wider range of companies so that you can feel yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So Apple, if, Apple makes up a good portion of the S&P 500. Right. right. Okay. That's cool. So for somebody, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Natalie is uh, not the most financial savvy person. I don't think she invests. You don't have a stock portfolio or anything. Like I have that. a nothing. She has a In nothing. fact, like, I mean, Brad and I have been dating for seven years and I opened her, my first savings account two years into dating him. Yes. So I've only had a savings account for five years, which that's terrible on my part, but I didn't necessarily grow up in a family that like they did teach me like, go get a job, like make your own money, but like not what to do with do that with money it. after. And right. I was taught at a very early age. It doesn't matter how much money you make from the job, it matters what you do with that money, i.e. investing is more important than the actual money you're making from the job. So with that being said, for somebody that is in Natalie's shoes, which I find a yada, a lot of younger people are, like late 20s or mid to late 20s, what is uh, like some investment strategies that you think young people should be implementing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, I, I actually grew up more like Natalie, to be honest with you. I mean, my folks... Uh, my mom is a retired school teacher. My dad is a retired uh, pilot for the state of Kansas, but also a farmer. And uh, and I think that probably the farming side impacted him a little bit more. Farmers are, uh, you know, cash poor, land rich, and uh, and saving money was not a priority for my family either. They they both had pensions working for uh, for the state and uh, the education department, and so <clears throat> I didn't grow up around that idea either. Uh, but I did have somebody come to my high school when I was uh, junior or senior in high school, and it was a banker, and she just talked about, well, if you put X dollars away per year, 
let it grow, then, you know, at this age, you could have a million dollars. And mm -hmm. you know, when I'm a junior high school, million dollars sounds like a lot of money. I'm like, wow, okay, well, what are my parents doing? And I started asking questions. And, uh, and so it was almost really, for me, it was almost a little more out of fear about not being prepared, uh, where I started just socking money away for retirement. So I think that when you think about like young people today, what are some of the things that you can do? It is still, I do still say that a savings account is the most important thing. Um, we always talk about having you know, six months uh, emergency savings. When I was uh, when I was in sales, like it's it's a very volatile position. Mm -hmm. You don't know how long you're going to have a job for. So for mm -hmm. me, I actually made that a 12 month uh, savings account. Uh, just because if there was a higher likelihood that something could potentially happen with my position. So um, so just think about maybe what is the position that you're in and then also what is it that you want to do with your money. So if you're sa saving money for a house, as an example, I've got um, a gentleman that I work with in Colorado that uh, I work with his father and he had you know, eighty thousand dollars in a in a bank account, and um, and he was using an online savings account, so he was getting getting more than what you know I get in my bank of America bank. Bank account, yeah. which is nothing. And uh, and so he was he was at least thinking about being uh, being smart with the savings, but from somebody who's in their twenties, does he need eighty thousand dollars in a bank account? And the answer was was no. Is that because it's uh, like? being young you kind of want to take advantage of some of the more riskier uh, plays and investments and like being having all that money in a savings account is more conservative or what's the thinking there yeah well you, you so you, you do want to be more aggressive because you've got you've got a long time before you need to be able to access that money however you still think about you know what is it that sort of shaped us and uh and so you know for myself there's a lot of people, I'm 38 years old, say there's a lot of people who are my age that <clears throat> don't want to take mm -hmm. risk in the stock market. Is that just like a personality thing? or like? But yeah, because you think about what was, the, what was their first experience in the, in the stock market? Probably 2008, yeah. Crisis. And so, you know, they see their parents who lost half of what they had in their retirement accounts. So they're like, you know, I don't want to do that. I'll just, as long as I get to keep my money, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out ahead. Uh, and, but, but the problem there is that that's not... Uh, so just to give you an example, I've got a, a young physician I work with. She's 35. She makes $400,000 a year. And she was putting all of her 401k money in the fixed account. And the fixed account was paying maybe 1%. Like it was better than a traditional savings account, but she was getting 1%. And I just said, look, that eventually won't yeah. keep up with inflation. You know, yeah. you're, you're going to lose money because inflation is going to uh, go grow rapid, more rapidly than, than what this fixed account is going to pay you. Yeah. And so you don't think you're losing money just because you don't see the dollar amount go down, but you actually are losing purchasing power as inflation picks up. This is probably one of the more interesting interesting times that I've been as an investor. Like this is uh, like inflation is now in the headline news con uh, consistently. So people are forced to at least pay attention now. So do you see on your side when you talk to clients or when you talk to potential clients, kind of bridging that gap of like, hey, you know, that conservative 1%, not only, you know, is that a low return on your investment, but now you're actually losing that money. Like, what has that educational uh, bridge been like for you to, to kind of teach people that? Yeah, that's been, so the, So to go back to the 20 year old who's got, uh, who's in his 20s and he had $80,000 in the bank. Uh, we had just had reports, CPI, looking at inflation, you know, you're talking 7% inflation, something like that is what our run rate was at. 
uh, and he's getting less than 1% in the bank, he's, he's losing 6% per year on his money. Uh, even though the dollar amount is not going down, his because seven seven percent is the inflation. He's only getting one percent on his return, so he's losing six percent of his purchasing power. But as a total real return, he's losing six percent. Does that make sense to you, Natalie? Yeah, I think the thing that's hard about inflation is it's not like visible. It's not like people are. I don't know how to explain it, but like it's visible. I think that it's... it'd be easy to say, "Oh, I'll keep my money in this account because you don't." Like the dollar doesn't literally get cut in half. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So there. I think for some people, it's you're hard for them to actually. You're not losing actual dollar. It's just the power that the amount of stuff it can buy for that value or for that amount is lowered. But, but if you that. tell me I have eighty thousand dollars in the bank, that still sounds like a lot of money to me. And if I'm keeping it there and not buying anything with it, then I might not realize. Yeah, but eighty thousand dollars today versus eighty thousand dollars maybe six right. years ago. Is a lot less it buys you a lot less that's true and that's the main yeah correct yeah and that's even you think about filling up right. your car with uh with gas you know i mean right. I, I have a 50 minute commute every day i fill my car up uh once a week and uh and it's like 50 bucks right now to fill up my uh my gas tank and uh and so i'm looking at hey how can i how can i uh, I'm not going to be able to influence the price of gas. How can I get more efficiency out of my vehicle? So now looking at, mm -hmm. uh, you know, plug-in electric that, hybrid, something mm -hmm. like that, just to be able to help me save that, money on that. Uh, during this time, and well, I have two questions, actually. Do you think that this inflation is transitory, something similar that the Fed has said in the past? And then if it isn't, if you don't think it is, and it's kind of here to stay for at least the somewhat for, uh, foreseeable future, the next maybe three to five years, say, what are some of the strategies that you are thinking about implementing or that you already have done to kind of fight uh, or to get a better return on investment during this time? I think it's uh, it's a little bit of both, most likely. You know, we've got some transitory inflation, uh, whereas the supply chain kind of works its, uh, its issues out, even though that's taking longer than we all anticipated, certainly, you know, China having a, a new bout with COVID uh, earlier this year caused additional uh, pain in our supply chain. But you look at uh, used cars, used car prices have gone down three months in a row. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, home prices, car prices were two of the biggest factors for uh, inflation increases. Is that mostly because though the interest rates are going back up? So those prices are coming back down? Um, well, a, a little bit, but so for um, on on homes, homes is a different story. Like you think about you think about purchasing a, a house. You know, there's going to be some people I think will probably see rates going up, and they'll say, "I got to go buy a house now before it gets to be too expensive." Um, I, I wish I remembered the exact uh, the exact uh, numbers. I was listening to uh, I was listening to somebody speak about you know if you were if you were trying to buy a home. Um, Oh, it was 12, I think it was, you want to spend $1,200 a month and you want to purchase a home in December, that home could get you like a $350,000 house or the $1,200 a month could get you a $350,000 house in December. Based on where rates are at today, that same $1,200 can only get you a $250,000 house. So because, uh, because interest rates have moved up enough, then uh, more of that payment is going to interest and less is going to principal. And so you just can't afford as much of a house. So, so you will see that. However, you know, homes are a little bit different just because going from the, uh, the great financial crisis, that was a housing bubble. And so from the great financial crisis to today, we actually underbuilt by about 4.2 million homes. 
And so we don't, we just don't have the supply. Uh, and, and everything comes back to mm-hmm. what, it, can we make the supply match the demand? And so mm-hmm. what the Fed's trying to do is they're trying to slow that, slow down the demand side of it, but we still have this massive shortage on the supply side. So I was at a presentation, Blackstone uh, does some private uh, real estate investments that we participate in. And, uh, and they, they think we could see four to five years of uh, kind of this continued pressure in the housing market, uh, just because we've, we've underbuilt by so much. You look at uh, multifamily apartment buildings are wow. going up everywhere, but we have a 97% occupancy rate. In and the, the US demand is still there. So, just, so there's just not, there's just not enough places for mm-hmm. people to go. So the demand is the demand is still there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I was at uh, I was out in Vegas a few weeks ago, and Vegas saw a twenty percent increase in uh, in rental uh, prices for apartment buildings and multifamily houses. That's, that's funny because Vegas was one of the hardest cities hit in two thousand eight. Uh, they had like the mo- they were like one of the uh, the biggest cities hit, I believe. So Blackstone owns properties in in uh, in Las Vegas, and so I was there doing a due diligence meeting with them. They had a 20% increase on uh, on income, and uh, and they're expecting an, another double-digit increase this year. So, uh, so we're going to continue to see inflation, I think, on on the home side. Um, and and really, it's not so much. So when you think about the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, because that's how everyone's saying, well, they're trying to combat inflation by raising yeah. interest rates. Yeah. And that's true. Like they're trying. So they're trying to slow down. Um, uh, like what the banks are doing. They're trying to get banks to, to make fewer loans so they can slow down how quickly cash is circulating through the economy and, uh, and kind of slow down the demand side. But, uh, but interest rates that the Federal Reserve is, is manipulating is very short-term loans. Uh, they're overnight loans that banks are doing with the Federal Reserve. And so really when we're talking about a mortgage, that's typically a 30-year loan that you have with the bank that's the long end of the yield curve. And so uh, the thing to, to listen for is when, which they're about to start, uh, the Federal Reserve was buying mortgage-backed securities. And that was keeping the long end of the curve and that's keeping those mortgage rates uh, suppressed. And now they're they're tapering off of that. And now we're gonna start seeing the, the long end of the yield curve go up and then we'll see mortgage oh, wow. rates probably start to accelerate and go a little bit higher. Um, but you still think about uh, inflation in its totality. Uh, you know, worse, it's difficult to find people uh, to, to hire. And so we're seeing a ton of wage growth. And, uh, and so that will be persistent. You know, once you give somebody a raise, you can't turn around the next year and say, well, inflation yeah. turns out it was transitory. Yeah. Oh, so I'm going to take that wage increase back yeah. from you. You know, you just okay. can't yeah. say, do those yeah. things. Yeah. Once, once, I, once I give you a raise uh, as an employee, then I often I'm going to try to pass it off to my to my clients and uh, and so those clients I need to raise more yeah. revenue so that way yeah. I can keep my same margin because I don't as a business owner I don't want to eat the margin uh, from from higher uh, expenses I want to be able to pass and, that and that off. has been my thinking kind of the whole time actually while we've been going through this um, inflationary time I've been like well I don't see how anything comes down because like you said people need more money to. Uh, to live so they have to get a raise potentially or when they get a new job they ask for more money and then that uh, cost kind of gets passed on back to the consumer uh, eventually you know through a roundabout way of like whatever company they work for that product that that they produce has to cost more because they have to pay the people that make it more money but then if inflation goes away 
Well, I, I feel like we're, I mean, inflation has been happening. I mean, we're in a, a, a higher inflationary time, but correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but inflation it, has been happening pretty much for the last hundred years. I mean, we, right, we right. always have typically that 2% inflation mark that the Fed wants to hit every year. Hence why, like, you know, uh, uh, a soda back in 1940 cost a nickel, and now it costs $1.50. Well, you think about, uh, so so what what we basically did uh, and what led to the inflation was going back to during COVID, you know, we we injected a ton of stimulus into the economy. The government injected a ton of stimulus into the economy. It's very standard for our money supply, the amount of money that circulates in our economy, to increase, you know, four or five percent per year. That's that's pretty standard. The economy can can absorb that, no problem. Uh, we went up by forty-two percent. So from uh, from the time we had uh, forty, COVID, you said forty-two percent. So they increased the money supply by forty-two percent. That's a ton. Yeah. So from twenty twenty until today, we, there's just been cash just being pumped into the into the economy now. The nice thing about it is a lot of that ended up being, you know, payments that the government was making to people. And those are those are one time deals, even though they were recurring. It was a one time deal. It's not uh, we're not all getting checks for the rest of our lives. It's not a continued uh, program. So uh, so we had this massive injection of cash into the economy. And the only thing that we can do is either uh, raise rates or try to take cash out in the form of tax increases. So, um, so the Federal Reserve is trying to just raise rates and slowly let the air out of that bubble uh, instead of having uh, something massive happen or have a tax increase in order to take even mm-hmm. more cash out of the economy, mm-hmm. which would likely lead to... So, uh, well, I feel like they have practice with hard landings, so they better know how to well, create so a soft landing. Does Is it right of me to think or to say that like, Although we were all getting checks, the twelve hundred, the fourteen hundred dollars, whatever it is, and we were getting for free technically, but we technically there's no such thing as a free lunch. So therefore, you know, we although we got what is that twenty, uh, like you know twenty eight hundred dollars maybe total or twenty six hundred dollars total, we're paying for that today through higher gas prices, through higher food costs at the grocery store. So we are kind of. You know, although we got that money thin, which was great. Like I probably saved a lot of people's lives. I know everyone in my industry was, you know, particularly struggling. We are now kind of repaying that in higher in, in higher inflation through everyday goods and services. Definitely, we're definitely paying for that. Some of it actually was just an advance. You know, uh, you guys don't have kids. I've got three kids at home, and uh, so last year we actually we got checks for I think it was five or six months uh, of our child tax credit was paid to us last fall. Uh, and then when I filed taxes uh, earlier this year, then I actually just paid it all back. So, yeah, so like people would have gotten probably a larger check April 15th uh, when they filed their taxes. I, I ended up just owing all of mine back, uh, but they gave us an advance and, and then we just had to pay it back and we still owed it back in April. So some of it was just kind of playing games like that. Uh, but uh, but the rest of it was just uh, hey here's some cash mm-hmm. go do what you want to mm-hmm. try to uh, we want you to go buy stuff and uh, and now and now we are paying for that just in uh, the form of um, inflation I know for us trying to feed three little ones uh, food costs mm-hmm. are going through the roof you know mm-hmm. I mean, you go you go try to buy buy lunch even even just me if I if I want to go try to buy lunch 
it feels like it's always 10 bucks, you know? Yeah, that's, that's the $10. Place, even at, uh, at a fast food place. So, um, yeah, so we are we are now starting to pay for that. We just don't think of it in those terms. Like, exactly. No, no, not at yeah. all. It's kind of like a, a hidden thing. So I want to touch on one more thing. Or did you have a question? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned like in 2007 and 2008, that was the housing bubble that we saw, right? So does 2022, for I guess it's a, another twofold question. One, uh, are we at risk at uh, a recession? Are we at risk of having uh, another recession? If so, is there another bubble in mind? Like something as specific as the housing bubble, uh, which it doesn't sound like it is going to be like that in 2022. It could be more of a tech bubble, uh, something similar that, or a crypto bubble, something similar that we saw in like 2001 with the dot-com bubble. Or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that, uh, I think it's going to depend on what actually does end up happening with inflation. I think the odds of us getting a soft landing are probably pretty low, to be honest. What's a soft landing again? Remind, what is that? I'm just, it, it kind of is, as Natalie was talking about, like, going into recession would be would be a hard landing like if the federal reserve can take some of the air out of that bubble from a cash perspective but then not put us into a recession that would be a soft okay. landing okay um i i do think we'll probably end up in a recession uh to be honest with you i mean our first quarter a recession technically is just two quarter two straight quarters of uh gdp uh contraction where we're negative gdp uh, for two quarters in a row we were negative in the first quarter of 2022 we might actually end up being negative in the second quarter of 2022 we might already yeah. be in a recession but we just don't yeah. have the numbers yet to, to to reflect that um now a lot of that is being driven by the fact that we just can't uh we can't purchase things because we can't get them from supply chain issues and so maybe it technically is a recession but we may not necessarily but it may not have lasting impact um, but I, I do think we probably will have some more struggles where we would we would enter into a recession. Uh, my expectation is still actually probably more going into 2023 versus uh, versus the second half of 2022, because there is still enough liquidity in the market today that uh, that we're still having mm -hmm. good companies are having good earnings reports. Mm -hmm. They're they're beating on the top line. A lot of them are starting to miss on the bottom line. So that means that means their sales are strong, but their expenses are high. So yeah. their their costs are going up and goes back to inflation. Yeah. And uh, but then their guidance is bad. So NVIDIA, as an example, NVIDIA came out uh, was that uh, Wednesday after the market closed and they beat on expectations, but they gave a soft guidance going forward. And so initially it was down six, 7% uh, after hours. Now, because the market rallied the next day, it actually ended up positive on uh, yesterday on Thursday. But, um, but that's just kind of an example of what we're starting to see is guidance is starting to get a little, a little bit weaker for say 12 months out from where we're at today. But, uh, but we're still getting good earnings reports right now. So I do, I do think we'll probably end up in a recession. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's not a, a lasting issue, but uh you know, on average, the uh, a, a bear market is like 280 days typically. Like if we enter into a, a so more than, than a year, yeah, less than a year. Like um, we always talk about mm -hmm. for us because we're communicating to clients because we don't want clients to panic and and get out at the worst possible time. Mm -hmm. You know, even though the S and P 500 technically has already gone down by 20 percent, we're elevated from that now. We've had a nice little bear market rally here lately. I don't expect that to last, but I'm enjoying it while we have it. Um, then, um, 
but ultimately we say the, the market takes the escalator up and, and the elevator down. So, you know, uh, bulls are slow and plotting and you can grow a lot of wealth in a bull market. A bear market is quick and violent and it just leaves people feeling devastated. And, uh, but realistically, you kind of flush it out of the system and you're able to, to look forward to what are the new growth areas of the economy? Where can we invest money? Uh, people are, are becoming more rational. So you think about where the where are those bubbles at today? I don't I don't think it's in housing still, just because we've got uh, we do have some headwinds, but we've got some tailwinds at the same time. Yeah, uh, we've seen technology companies, you know, Netflix, Roku, got slaughtered, man. They've been they've been decimated. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I I remember buying Roku at like $105, dollars, yeah. and just like piling a ton of money into that. And I saw the other day it was like eighty-seven dollars a share. I mean, it was almost five hundred dollars, and it's and yeah. it's almost back down under a hundred. So, uh, some of those companies have just been have just been crushed. Roku is trading back to where it was March of twenty twenty. So why why is that though? That tech uh, tech companies have kind of been uh, slaughtered during this time, as opposed to like the commodities market and stuff like that. Well, it's all about what are the future expectations. So. You know, you, if you think, if you have your company, Brad, and we say, you know, you want to sell your company, how are we going to value your company? We're looking at future cash flow expectations for your company. We do a, this is simplified, but we do a present value calculation for those future cash flows. And then we give you, we pay you a multiple about what the market's paying. So when you do that present value calculation of future cash flow that your company is generating, there's, there's an interest rate that's being used in that present value calculation. Mm -hmm. As that interest rate goes up, oftentimes we'd say the 10-year treasury, as that interest rate goes up, that future cash flow is worth less today just because that interest rate went up. So these companies who are high growth uh, names like you know Roku and some of the others, see the thing is like think about Google. Google yeah. has a ton of cash coming through. Yeah. So I still, like I've been buying Google here recently uh, but you've got other companies that have operated on thin margins or they have to go to the market and get more cash, then uh, then they're, they're worth less today just because the future uh, cash flow expectation might, you might still think you've got good growth opportunities, but so, it's worth less today because interest rates have gone up. Uh, so those high tech names are worth for less. For me, yeah. it sounds like uh, it would be a good time to invest because I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive because no, everyone's pulling out, but if Roku is selling at $87 and it's normally at 300 and the lock mark, the stock market is the long game. Mm -hmm. So it, it will go up. I mean, it has to then like well, the market. In wouldn't general, I want that right now? Would I want some Netflix right now if I've never invested before? And, and I remember I was about to say something earlier. Like I actually started investing when in 2008, I was 12 years old. I think I started investing in 2009. So actually, they probably one of the best times to buy because everything stocks, was low. It, and... Everybody just sold off, so stocks were really low. So you're technically getting them on a discount. But if you buy good stocks, like that was like one thing that I was taught from an early age was like I always bought stuff that I used or I liked, like Apple, Chipotle, Google. Uh, these were companies that, you know, I was young, so I didn't necessarily like look at all the data, but I'm like, Hey, I use Google every day. I go to Chipotle once a week. So I, I should Chipotle. buy stock in like 
Ulta, Sephora. <laughs> I mean, I mean, th- to me, it was just a good measuring stick on what I valued, like what a typical ninth grader or young person valued. So I and I like those companies. Yeah. So I bought stock in them because I knew what they were. I don't know if that's a good strategy. Ulta is actually a good one. Uh, I actually would look at that one to be completely honest with you. <laughs> you know, no, I, I think, I think you're onto something there. I mean, it's just the, uh, it goes back to the you know, Berkshire Hathaway philosophy of buying what you know. And, uh, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. If you, if you as a consumer have had a bad experience with a particular company or their product, then uh, you're probably not the only person that's had that bad experience. And, and what is the likelihood that they're going to continue to have success? So I, I do like to buy companies that I have good experiences with. And, um, and at the same time, though, so the market's down. Uh, this week, I was buying. I was buying Tesla. I was buying Google. Uh, I actually stayed away from Amazon, uh, which I'll tell you in a second. Uh, I do like Apple uh, because that's down. But you think about like Amazon, Walmart, Target, some of these some of these companies. Uh, their stock price is down a lot as well. But what is one of the biggest things I'm worried about, and that's wage inflation. Uh, Amazon and Walmart are the top two private employers in the United States. And if you're a large employer and you've got uh, a sophisticated, educated, specialized workforce, Mm -hmm. then I'm willing to pay for that. Mm -hmm. If you just have a lot of folks who don't have to be specialized to to work for you, you're going to feel a lot of pressure on on wage increases. That's... um, Mm -hmm. that makes me a little bit anxious. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Amazon, I'm, I'll be really curious to see what happens with Amazon in the long term, where if they decide to unlock some value by maybe spinning out some parts of Amazon yeah. uh, along AWS uh, versus everything else. Yeah. Because, uh, AWS and the tech mm-hmm. side, there's specialized workforce there, and it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. The rest of it doesn't make quite as much sense to me, uh, just as I think about profit margins going forward. And, uh, and I think as we worry about inflation, uh, and I do think inflation will, will persist for a long period of time, uh, just not to the degree that we've been seeing recently, uh, that I'm still anxious about those companies like Amazon and, uh, and Walmart. So I actually trimmed my position. I sold my position personally in Walmart. Uh, we trimmed it as a company. Uh, I have not, Amazon's already been hit so hard. I have not sold it, but I'm not buying any more positions right now in Amazon. But some of those other ones, you know, it's like Inphase Energy is, has always been a personal uh, favorite of mine. Uh, we bought it at $5 a share, and uh, and I'm the idiot that sold it at 7 and a half a share. Uh, it ended up going to $282 a share. Oh, my God. So oh, my gosh. <laughs> I tell Tony, who's, you know, the president of our company, I originally bought him 1,000 shares at $5 a share. Oh, and, my gosh. Uh, and I, I, you know, so that's two hundred eighty-two thousand dollars that he would have had in in-phase energy. Yeah. Now, granted, again, that's that's five thousand dollars turning into two hundred eighty-two thousand. But, yeah. um, but I never would have uh, being the guy who manages the portfolio. I never would have not peeled some of those gains out. Yeah, you you, you have to be smart along the way. Well, I kind of tell yeah. Brad, because uh, Brad obviously loves Bitcoin. I'm sure you know. Uh, like, you know, he at one point had a hefty chunk or had made some money and I was like, I sold nothing. I know, but I'm like, just take out what you put in. Nah, it's gonna, but maybe that's a dumb, maybe that's not a great investing 
Well, advice. I, I mean, everyone told me that since I bought it in 2017, 2016. They're like, oh, just take out a little bit. I'm like, no, 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 no. And they were wrong all the way. Because I don't want, I don't have any place to put that money right now. Like, I like that. I like where True. it's at. And I don't need the money right now. So yeah. for me, I think every situation is different for me. Uh, holding that long term. But um, Matt, uh, it is going to be interesting how things play out with some of these companies. I'm very excited. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Yeah. We're, we're, I do we're, know we're, we're running short on time. Yeah. 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 Please, please, yeah. Do, yeah. please do. Please do. Please do. So one, obviously, everything I say is not investment Oh, yes, advice. of course. Oh, yes, we're we're going to put a disclaimer as well and uh, do all that stuff. But I, but I am still investing heavily in commodities, uh, even though I, I don't think that all of the inflation will be persistent. I'm still investing heavily in commodities. Uh, I'm typically going a little bit more broad-based uh, a basket of commodities. Uh, so like First Trust has an ETF that I use. FTGC is the ticker for that. I use, I use that because it's, you know, 40 or so different commodities, including like coffee mm-hmm. and that type of stuff that you can, uh, you can invest in the futures. Uh, and then I'm also heavily investing in uh, yep. private real estate. Yeah. Uh, we're investing heavily in uh, in energy, so it is it is possible we're entering into this sort of super cycle uh, on the energy side that might be a good uh, good opportunity, and uh, it's also a commodity, so it'll help us uh, as now you, pressure on that side too. So those are just you, areas that I think that there's some opportunity, but I do still think that those tech names like what we talked about, like I said, I was buying I was buying Tesla, I was buying Roku, some of those names have just been decimated. I do think in the long term, I think mm-hmm. they're going to stick around. They've got they've got staying power, so mm-hmm. now's a good time to pick up a few. And, and Matt, you are my financial advisor, so I can say this to you: definitely buy me some of that those uh, the super cycles, the energy, the commodities. Put put some of my money in there, will you? I know it's. I'll take, I'll take care of it for you. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you, Matt. Thank you yeah, so thank much you. for uh, so joining fun. us. This was so much fun. I do want to have you back on in the future. Uh, maybe you could come to our studio once it's done and uh, we can talk in person about all things. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Take care.